Hello and welcome. This is Elspeth Magilton, one of your hosts for the Girls Code Lincoln podcast. And I'm Akritia Agarwal. Welcome back to the Empower series on the podcast. The speakers in the series have a variety of careers and backgrounds. We know that confidence and leadership skills matter in every industry. People, young and old, benefit from hearing confident, underrepresented voices in our community, perhaps now more than ever. This spring, in conjunction with the Women Lead Conference sponsored by the University of Nebraska Colleges of Business and Law, we're reviving our Empower Her series on the podcast. We've invited the speakers at this one-day conference to join Awkwardy and I for interviews that will come out as standalone episodes in the Empower series, or if they're STEM-related, in one of our regular monthly episodes. We're so pleased to welcome Ashley Vertruba to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Could you introduce yourself and your current work? Yeah, certainly. So like you said, my name is Ashley Votruba. I am an assistant professor here at UNL. A large part of what I do is teach undergraduate and graduate courses. And then I also do research looking at uh, law and psychology issues. So I'm based in the psychology department and I'm interested in how people interact with the legal system. That's very cool. One of the things we like to start out with is how did you end up where you are? So can you tell us a little more about where you're from? Yeah, so I'm actually originally from the Phoenix, Arizona area, if anyone's familiar, Chandler, which is a suburb. Um, So I was born, raised there, went to college there, Arizona State grad, went to graduate school there. So I'm one of the very few people who spent 12 years uh, in higher education in Arizona. And then as I was graduating from graduate school and looking for the job market, I ended up uh, here at UNL and I was really trying to target professor type positions, didn't really know exactly where I would end up, but I am very happy to call the psychology department home. And I've been here for about five years now. When you were growing up in Arizona, uh, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you, did you know about the job that you have now, or is it the kind of job you were interested in? You know, when I was really young, and I'm thinking about elementary school-aged Ashley, uh, she loved animals and dogs and got it in her head that she was going to be a marine biologist. And I don't know where that came from. Um, Arizona is a desert. There is no ocean. Um, So I'm sure you could appreciate, like, the lack of actual opportunity to interact with sea life or any other sort of aquatic life in that setting. Um, But it seemed cool at the time. So originally that's what I wanted to do. And I don't know, I couldn't tell you where exactly that transition was. I think when I was in high school, I started to learn a bit more about um, political science. I learned a bit more about psychology. I started to get really interested in government and the legal system and how that worked um, and also how people made decisions. So around the time I was entering college, I decided to be a psych major. And it was a bit haphazard. It was just one of those things where you have to declare a major. And that's what I chose. I think there needs to be a support group of adults that wanted to be marine biologists because I'm also a part of that group. Uh, I saw a meme recently that was something like, you know, why did every kid want to be a marine biologist? And then the reason for it was Lisa Frank stickers, right? They're all of these like colorful (laughs) dolphins. Um, So maybe it was that. Yeah, I think there was a lot of talk of like coral reefs and things like that when we were younger as well. So very cool. So did you start off in law when you went to college? Where did you start and what was your major when you ended? 
Yeah, so in college, I started as a psychology major and a very traditional psychology path, um, took the courses I was required to take my first couple of years. Somewhere along the line, I ended up meeting some people that were attorneys, and these were mentor type people in my life. Um, around my sophomore year of college, I started uh, clerking for a criminal defense attorney, which basically means I did secretarial work. So I was just there to answer the phone, um, take care of paperwork and day-to-day -day things. But I started to learn more about the legal system. Um, so that was happening in parallel to being a psych major and learning all of this really cool psychology stuff. And it wasn't until I was probably a junior in college going, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do when I graduate? That I started to really connect those two interests of mine and started to look up opportunities to go to graduate school, maybe go to law school, maybe become uh, like a graduate of some kind in psychology. I wasn't quite sure. What I did know at the time was that I had no interest in being a clinician, um, still don't do that kind of psychology. Um, and I had an interest in the legal system, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to be an attorney. And so around my junior year, I had an opportunity um, to do an honors thesis program in college, which is often what people do before they uh, go to graduate school if they're contemplating that process. And in that moment, found somebody who worked at the intersection of law psychology, who was willing to take a chance on me as an undergrad and work with me through that process. And I think that's really where I found my niche, this opportunity to study how do people sort of move through the legal system? How do those two things work together? such a great example of how important mentorship is too, right? I think a lot of the career paths that are out there, I simply didn't know existed when I was a kid or even in early college. Um, you just aren't exposed to those types of jobs. And so having folks who kind of open those doors for us to see the different you know, ways that our education can go. Uh, during that period, did you have any, well, it sounds like you clerked, sounds like you did some other research and work, uh, but any other internships um, or externships or working for college credit uh, kind of positions that were meaningful to you? You know, not a ton. So I was an undergrad who was kind of putting myself through college. I had scholarship, but I also had to work to eat. Um, so I had jobs. I kind of worked odds and ends, um, some sort of small factory type work. I also taught piano lessons because that was a skill I had picked up earlier in life. So not a ton of those opportunities because I was, you know, putting food on my table and making sure that I mm -hmm. could successfully live somewhere. I think the one thing I did take advantage of were research experiences um, within my sort of area of study. So at that point, I had uh, done some research experience in a child development lab and quickly learned that I was not interested in working with children. So it was really great for kind of weeding out those things that you learn you don't want to do. And I think that's mm -hmm. an important part of that development is finding, uh, taking advantage of opportunities, finding what you like and also what you don't like. Ashley, I, I just want to underscore, I think that's a really important story. And we, as a program leader at a university, I think about this a lot, that there is a, a privilege in internships and externships and being able to do that. And that many of our students, my story is a lot like yours, were working because we had to pay the bills. Um, and so it wasn't that we, we couldn't take the unpaid internship at the certain offices, we, you know, we had to do other things. And so I think it's also important for our listeners to hear 
that too, that you can still be successful. You can still work your way through your education um, and have lots of opportunities, even if, you know, sometimes your, your positions in school might look sometimes different than your peers. And I think that's, that's an important and valuable story. Yes, I 100% agree with that. And I don't think we should discredit the value that comes from those other kinds of jobs. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes when I'm coaching, you know, my undergraduates, I'm telling them, hey, you know, what did you learn in those other experiences that are going to make you good in your future? And you'd be surprised at what skills you're picking up when you don't realize you're doing it, whether it's people skills, business skills, all of those things can be incredibly valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. There's so many skills that are transferable and we don't realize that all jobs have similar base personality type skills that we can learn from one job and take to the other. Um, and learning how to transfer those is really important. So now that we've talked a little bit about your research and um, all of the jobs that you had in college, can you tell us about your first job and how you went about finding that and what that was? Yes. So this is my first job after graduate school. Um, I like to make fun of myself a little bit because I, I did spend 12 years in graduate school. So from college through an eight year long graduate program. Um, and the reason for that is like I got a JD and a PhD at the same time. So I was in school a really, really long time. Um, I did have an opportunity in graduate school to take what I call my graduate school sabbatical um, and clerk for the Arizona Supreme Court Justice uh, Robert Brutnell. So I had that experience, um, which was a really good legal experience and solidified my interest in court systems and how those worked. Uh, but then I went out on the job market as an academic, which is a very scary thing to do. Um, those who are familiar with it, you put out tons of applications, tons and tons. I, feel like it was a hundred some days. And you just kind of sit back and wait to see if anyone's interested in the work that you did. And I was very lucky because there happened to be a position here at UNL that was in my area. It was a perfect fit. It was just like this golden moment in time, like, you know, oh, the heavens open, there it is. Um, and so right out of graduate school, it can be a little risky to apply to tenure track faculty positions, oftentimes, they want some sort of postgraduate work, whether it's a postdoc or a fellowship. And I didn't have those experiences, but I applied anyway, um, thanks to the urging of mentors, which was wonderful. I really appreciate that they were in my corner and it worked out. So I got the position here at UNL and started as an assistant professor. And I very much so felt like a baby assistant professor. I did not, and sometimes still do not feel like I exactly know what I'm doing. I had a question before you jump into the next thing. Um, so I was, you talked about how you did your JD and your PhD at the same time. How did you make the decision to go into academia versus becoming a practicing lawyer? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, for me, I think going the academic route was always at the front of my mind is the direction that I wanted to go. And a big part of that is that my passion is in research. I love science. I love taking science and applying it to questions about how people make decisions and oftentimes legal decisions in my work. Um, so that process of asking a research question and going through and trying to find a scientific answer um, is something that I just love doing. And as a lawyer, you don't get to use those skills. 
Um, so for me, it was really this academic lifestyle on a topic that I found interesting where I get to do that work and help mentor students who are interested in that work that really appealed to me. So I might have briefly considered um, private practice as an attorney, threw that out there because there are many benefits to that sort of career, uh, but ultimately decided that this more closely aligned with what I found value in and what I wanted to do. So can you walk us through a little bit? I, I, you know, you say it was your first job and then where to where you are now. You know, I have I've been in academia for almost coming up on 10 years now. So and I know that technically I've been in the same job that whole 10 years, but I have not actually really been in the same job that whole 10 years. Right. It grows and it changes um, and different challenges come up. So can you walk us through a little bit of your professional career in the last few years? Sure, yes. And maybe it would be helpful to explain a little bit about what my position is. Um, mm -hmm. Academic positions can vary quite a bit in terms of how they're structured. So how it works for myself and I think most of my department is that we're primarily research focused. So a big part of my job over half of it is really focused on answering those research questions that I'm interested in. And that's not just doing that research, but also building a lab and a team of people who are really interested in that work. So in the last couple of years, my goals and focus has really been on how do I develop a team that's interested in this? How do we collaboratively work together? And then transitioning from just doing the research and then also thinking about, well, how do we apply this? What can we do? Um, to communicate this work to other people? How can we get this out into the world? What might potential interventions be? Um, so in the last couple of years, the work's really focused in on sort of advancing that research trajectory from the very beginning, kind of very basic questions to, okay, let's apply this, what happens in the real world? The next big part of my job is teaching. Um, so over the course of the last five years and having been here, I've taught three or four different classes and I'm working on developing a new one. And so a lot of what I do is in that semester structure and I work with undergrads and graduate students and really try to hone those courses. And being an academic in the last couple of years has really been impacted by the pandemic. Um, so that is certainly something that has needed to take more time and attention and you know shifting in-person courses to online courses and all that goes with that. So I feel like the teaching bit is constantly developing new skill, skills, integrating um, new ways of kind of providing that instruction. Awesome. So the next part of our podcast, we really like to, we call it the what is the blank part of your career. And we like to dive in a little deeper into um, what these different aspects of your career are. So would you tell us what is the best part of your career? Oh, these are always hard questions to answer. Um, for me, I think the best part of my career are the aha moments when it comes to research. When you've asked what feels like a really interesting question and then you collect a bunch of data and you've designed this study and you pour months and months of time and energy into it. And then you analyze the data and there's a moment of clarity that sometimes comes, not all the time, right? Data is messy, science is, not always how we expect it to go, right? Um, but sometimes there's just those beautiful aha moments where things click into place. And I love those. And they're made even better in my job when I get to work with students who are having those aha moments with me and watching them have those experiences. Um, so I think the best part is kind of that science and mentorship and when it really comes together and it's just good, it just feels good. 
How about the hardest part of your career? So I think for me, um, one of the hardest parts about this particular job is that as an academic, you often get pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, we are part of a vibrant community that has multiple missions as it relates to science and research and public engagement. And it's just really hard to find a balance in all of that. I want to do all of them 100% and you just can't. Um, so for me, the struggle has really just been around learning to prioritize what I think fills my bucket and really um, where I can put my strengths to something and then learning to say, hey, maybe somebody else could work on some of those other things because that's a strength of theirs. Yeah, you're talking to two other women that struggle with that same thing. You know, it's so easy <laughs> to give 100% of ourselves to everything we're working on and we feel like we should. And so it's so important to point out that we don't always have to. We should take care of ourselves too. What is the scariest part of your career? Goodness. Um, so when I first started this career, the scariest part was getting up and lecturing in front of 250 people. Uh, I'm an introvert. That was not my cup of tea. Uh, but I have to say over the last couple of years, that feels far more comfortable. And I really have learned to enjoy those experiences. And of course, the students are wonderful, right? So being in that space with them is great. I think the scariest part now is really as it relates to mentorship and making sure that I'm doing the right thing as a mentor. Again, the pandemic has really affected that. Students are going through a lot. And the students that I work with as an advisor who are in my lab, um, you know, they're really dedicated to what they're doing, it takes a lot of time and energy. And I wanna make sure that I'm doing the right thing um, when it comes to managing policies and what are we going to do as a lab? How are we gonna handle this really difficult situation? So for me, that's scary. That's what sometimes keeps me up at night. Absolutely. Can all of everything you said so far, I can relate very hard. Uh, but making sure we're doing right by those students, that's that's an intimidating piece of it. What is the most rewarding part of your career? You know, it's probably the flip side of the scary bits when you get it right and you feel like you've really um, supported the people that you want to support um, that are part of your circle. That's just a really rewarding feeling. So seeing their successes. Um, recent example, I just got back from a conference and two of my graduate students were there with me and they were presenting on the work that we've done and they did an awesome, awesome job. They just, yeah, they really shone in those particular moments. And I was sitting in the audience um, we joke that I'm the academic mom, right? So I was just a proud mama bear. Um, and that's a really great feeling. You know, I almost feel like we should spend some time going through our former interviews and all the ones that we have coming up and, and do a little research of our own to see how often that the scariest and the most re rewarding answers are like an inverse of each other, because I feel like that happens a lot. And I think it makes a lot of sense, right? That the thing that is the most intimidating or that we put the most energy into trying to solve things that intimidate us, that scare us are also the most rewarding when, when we see it go well and, and, and be a, a positive experience. So that'd be some interesting research we could do here on the Girls Code Lincoln podcast. <laughs> totally. That would be fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of times where that doesn't really go right. Um, and we feel like women don't talk about their failures enough. And that's what scares younger girls from learning that it's okay to fail. So Ashley, if you would, we'd love for you to share a big failure 
in your life or career that you think about? Yes. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, being on the academic job market and it worked out okay in the end, but there were certainly failures along the way. So I applied to a lot of positions that I just never either heard back from or might've interviewed and I just didn't interview well, or it wasn't the right fit. So, you know, that was a tough thing, tough time in life. Um, so there's pieces of that, um, in the last couple of years, uh, one of the things that I've had to really learn about and figure out is managing grant funding. So you have this external money that's coming in to fund your lab. And that was happening about the time that COVID was picking up. And so trying to navigate, how am I going to run subjects, participants? How am I going to bring people into the lab to do research when we can't have people on campus? Um, and so in some ways, that really feels like a failure because we were delayed getting things up and going. We had to pivot. We did the best that we can. But as a consequence of that, you know, we missed deadlines. We missed timelines. And that was really tough in a moment where it felt really important because these were, you know, for me personally, being new in my career, some of the first times I had those sources of funding and I wanted to do a good job. Um, so we, we did the best we could, but it was in some ways, you know, not what we needed. About the flip of that, can you tell us about a big success in your life or your career? So that's, it's a hard thing to reflect on, right? Because we don't always feel those successes in the moment, um, or at least in hindsight sometimes. But I would say, you know, there have been those successes. I got the grant funding, um, which is a big part of my job, right? I was able to um, bring in ideas and grants so that our students could work on those projects and they could be funded through those projects. And so that really feels like a success. And for me, you know, anytime I get a notification that somebody has read something that I have written and then decided to cite it in their own work, that feels like a big success. So I think those are the things that I try to hold on to as those successes, um, in part because they're a little bit more frequent than some of the other, you know, really big things. So. Yeah, we love that. So as we're closing up the podcast, we like to ask all of our guests, what is your biggest piece of advice for young women that are trying to find their way? Oh, and advice is also tough. You guys really pick these tough questions for the end. Um, you know, I think, so for me, one of the reasons that advice is difficult is because people are so different and their paths are going to look so different. And so something that I say might work really well for one person, but not for somebody else. And I think, you know, along that same vein, realizing that your life's trajectory is not going to be the same from start to finish um, is really useful. So keeping in mind as you're working to figure out what it is that you want to do and how you're going to get there, there's no one single path. There are many different paths people might take. Um, and you don't have to know it all right from the beginning. And that's okay. Sometimes just moving forward is a really great way to go. So that would be one piece of advice. And then something that I uh, have latched onto recently that I heard from somebody else that I just thought was fabulous was this idea of it's always good to be your authentic self, whatever that might be. And so as you're thinking about those paths in life, if you can be authentic to who you are, what it is that you want, you're probably going to end up in a good place. Excellent pieces of advice. And I, uh, 
surprised that it was an intimidating question because those were great and perfect and, and definitely different apply to different individuals. So thank you so much, Ashley. We loved hearing your story and we appreciate you taking some time to be on the show today. It has thank been my so pleasure. Thank you both. And thank you listeners for tuning in today. Girls Code Lincoln is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Lincoln, Nebraska, where we strive to ignite passion for technology and leadership in young girls with the long-term goal of closing the gender gap in STEM. Learn more at girlscodelincoln.org. A huge thank you to Girls Code Lincoln sponsors, including Fuse Coworking for our beautiful space, the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center at the University of Nebraska for Technical Services, and Mentors, Huddle, Assurity, Emeritus, and Don't Panic Labs for their organizational support. Want to hear more from Women in Coding? Tell your friends about this podcast and share it on social media. Word of mouth is our best advertising. Our theme music is Then It Went Like by Grace Messa.